Hello, I'm Claire Bennett, host of the Original Thinkers podcast, where we take a deeper dive into what it takes to have an original thought, the impact of it, and how it endures over time. At a time when original thinking could not be more important, I'll be talking to some of our country's leading minds about their creative process and about how creativity can improve lives and make a meaningful difference. On today's episode, I speak with Henry Williams. Henry is a multidisciplinary designer and head of Henry Williams Studio. He was recently senior architect for Snowheta Australasia, and Henry has collaborated with designer maker John Goulder at Melbourne Design Week for an exhibition called Self Portrait, creating a table from cross-laminated timber with a collection of ceramics and tableware. Welcome, Henry. Lovely to see you, Claire. At Melbourne Design Week, you're exhibiting with John Goulder at the NGV. What can you tell me about the exhibition and what you've put together? We've sort of been talking about working together for quite a while and hadn't quite found the right opportunity. So this came up and we decided to give it a go. And it was a bit of an irony around the idea that it's a self-portrait. It's sort of obviously something that often is done in isolation through a period of reflection and sort of consideration of, of the self. And so this idea of working together provoked a lot of conversation about how to approach it. And I think contemporary culture is characterized by a lot of interest in the self through social media and various other other sort of channels. There is a lot of consideration of the self. And I think there's an argument that a lot of the content that's put out into the public realm already is a reflection on self. What was interesting and what we, we liked the idea of is sort of stepping back a little bit. We were keen to think about the idea that identity is something that's established in the space between people, that it's something that comes to light through conversation. So it's a work in progress that that's sort of revealed through friendships, through through family. So I think what we have done is come up with a piece that sort of is the setting for a conversation. We develop the piece together through conversation, often sitting around a little cafe table with some cups of, of coffee and some water glasses. And so we took those fundamental um, sort of primitive items around the conversation as sort of an archetypal relationship setting. And then through this sort of reflection on us and our relation, but also on the setting in which that plays out, we recreated these items as a sort of collaborative design exercise. So it's an interesting piece. I mean, I, I, well, the, the whole sort of theme of this podcast is around sort of original, original thought. And what's interesting is that none of the items we've created are original. They're all sort of the pre-existing familiar items, domestic items, almost mundane items. But we've, we've taken a different slant on that. And it's been really exciting. So for us, obviously, we wanted to speak to you because we see you as doing really original, different things, and your practice in itself is is different. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing differently from other firms in this design space in Australia. I think look, it comes back to that fundamental question of original thought, how you see it, and, and what sort of values or ideas are embedded in the question. And I think, personally, I'm really excited about creativity and originality being expressed through hundreds or thousands of incremental, almost trivial steps. It's the, it's the power of this aggregated creative process of small steps, building on pre-existing things, building on established forms and typologies, whether it's architecture, whether it's sort of product, furniture, you know, whatever. But to rather than to sort of see originality being expressed most um, powerfully through sort of stepping aside of established design or culture and bringing something with sort of novelty or spectacle into the world. I, I'm really excited about, about refinement, about improvement, about these sort of incremental steps, about the power of 
just sort of reflection and analysis and, and building over sort of generations. Um, I think if we're talking about the good that can come from design, it's sort of worth in, in communities and in, in society. I think the ability to, to not just want to continually bring the new into existence, but to sort of thread what we do into existing conversations, into existing bits of history, existing bits of memory. I think that sort of sense of, again, refining and building on, on things has a sort of an enduring and timeless quality. It places us and connects us to the people that have come before and the people that will come after. The work I do, I don't really make any fundamental claim to sort of impactful sort of originality. I, what I'm trying to do is, is learn from the past to, to sort of be tuned into existing stories and histories and, and make modest acts of originality that build on that. So this is sort of, again, aggregated impact that isn't just a product of the work I do, but it sort of really recognises all of, all of the work that's been done before. I love the idea of incremental change in the everyday because I think that is where often the biggest impact happens. I mean, we talk about and, and we certainly celebrate on, on this podcast these really big, original, new ideas, but how do we make those changes become part of the everyday because that's where, as you say, the, the incremental change, but on a massive scale, is where I think we make the biggest difference. I, th I think I think the, the issues around sustainability are a really good example of this. I think sort of an awareness of sustainability and that becoming a priority in design, right, rightfully, isn't about a dismantling of everything that's come before and, and sort of saying we need to do it differently, but it's about basically opening and broadening our sense of what good design constitutes. Sustainability isn't about an additional agenda. It's, it, it's good design is sustainable. I, I think if, you, if you're not designing sustainably, if you're not thinking about it, then you're not solving problems. You're, you're, it's, it's just not relevant. It's not part of the necessary contemporary conversation. So, I mean, sustainability is a huge part of the exhibition that we've done. It's about how we can transform things that are um, familiar and coming out of this time in, in history, sort of economically, technologically, and, and working out how to sort of realize the, the, the beauty in that, how to make modest transformations to that to create something that hopefully has a bit of elegance and sophistication and, and says something where we are. And, and I think we're, John and I are really proud of the piece that we, we've done and think it sort of is certainly part of that conversation. So tell me then a little bit more about the materials you've used. You've taken this mass timber element and turned it into something refined and beautiful that's, that's not about creating the structure of, of anything other than perhaps a great conversation or a beautiful dinner, as you say. It's a refined piece to, to be within the home. How did you find that? I mean, it was an experiment. Did it work? It's it's interesting because it was an obvious choice for us. We never question it. And I, I think the, the background to, I suppose, the selection and something that John and I have always talked about is the idea that design embeds values and the way that we perceive beauty or aesthetics is really connected to not just the, the sort of the appearance of things, but, but the stories that it contains. So the, the things about the product that might conventionally have not been sort of deemed suitable for sort of you know, high quality craft or, or sort of product or furniture design, such as, you know, short sections of timber, finger jointed. These are sort of industrial processes. They make really sort of efficient, um, affordable building products. But actually the story that they tell is something that we're really interested in. And I think with seeing the, the way in which a material that sort of 
has historically been considered to have relatively low sort of value, the way that comes together, it, it's a native plantation timber. It's entirely sustainable. It's entirely renewable. And so the story about taking those sort of small sections, joining them in that way, it gives it a... The, the story is so embedded within the material. It's a beautiful thing. I and mean, we talked so much about the extent to which we felt we need to handle the material to treat it. In the end, the, certainly for the exhibition, it's not even it's not even finished. It's just sanded. And we're really excited by that because we just didn't want to obscure the story. And what's interesting is it's quite radical. Certainly the reception we've had so far has been one of sort of both surprise that it was done because it, it hasn't really been done before, but also... Um, surprised that it hasn't hasn't been done before that we think we've sort of revealed um the sort of a beauty in a product that has been there in plain sight the whole time so again i think i think what this does is reflect a changing set of values so i think we're at a point now where we can see and, and need to see the beauty in these products because it is telling the right story for our time beautiful so then you've done something there that's sort of brave really what does it take you know, as an individual or in collaboration to have an original thought, do you need to be a little bit brave or, you know, do you need to be comfortable with being playful, being different? What do you think? What do you think it takes to sort of have an original thought and put it out there? It's a, it's a great question. I, I think it comes back to the question of values. And I think throughout our sort of education and our careers, the, the sort of the values that we look for in design and creation become increasingly entrenched. We sort of reinforce them through the repetition of certain modes of practice, through certain processes, through the sort of scanning Instagram and having a sort of a heuristic response, sort of a very immediate response to what we think is good design and, and what isn't, and we sort of skim past. And I think one of the challenges with design creativity, with originality, is to set aside those prejudices. So I think that the sort of the trait that's really needed is not so much, I, I, I'm not sure that brave is the right word, but it's certainly letting go of, of, of one's sort of prejudices, of just remaining really open and curious, sort of almost infant-like, seeing past the sort of those immediate characterizations of things as being beautiful or not beautiful or, or interesting or, or not. So I think certainly on a personal level, I try to stay tuned into things at a narrative level, try to look past appearances, try to see past the appearances and focus on the story that things are telling. And I think if you can do that, you, you are less susceptible to sort of the seduction of, of appearance. Conforming. Of conforming. conforming. Absolutely. Those sort of, those sort of feedback loops of influence that circulate in, in certain, certain communities. So, so that's, a, yeah, that's a really important part of the process. You mentioned there that there's almost a need to be a little bit infantile. And I, I find that interesting because when reading about creativity, you often see that children are inherently creative and somehow we stamp it out, you know, as we become adults. And I think perhaps you've, you've really struck on an interesting thing there. We become more afraid of being different. And when you're little, you just dive into the creativity and, and it's about coming up with something interesting and new and it's more about play. Do you have a creative process that, you know, you try and help yourself to remain in that space? Is, is there something that you do to allow yourself to play? It's really interesting. As you're talking about that, I, I was sort of about the idea of the, the quality that's sort of inherent in children and, and tends to sort of change. I was wondering sort of why that is. And I think, I think part of it, it um, is something, something I've sort of 
thought about it and certainly have chatted with John about. And I think one of the reasons for that is as, as you grow up, your identity becomes more consolidated, more established. And I think that is, again, this idea of consolidating and establishing your virtues, your likes and your dislikes. And I think certainly as you get older, there's a, there's a danger that they become even more stiff and, and, and rigid. So in terms of creative process, I think what's, this project has been quite different from my normal process. I, I usually work creatively, certainly in quite a sort of solitary way. But the collaboration I think is a really good way of, of sort of hacking that and kind of getting back to what, you know, this, this sort of infantile state, which is it's, it's sort of socialized. The, the self takes a back seat. You sort of forfeit this sense of, of ownership of the thing. So I think that forces you to look differently. You, if you've got even the faintest little bit of sort of empathy or compassion, you're trying to look at it through your collaborator's eyes as well. You're really trying to understand it from their perspective. And, they, and certainly between John and I, we come from very, very different backgrounds with different sort of skills and experiences and repertoires of design knowledge. So in terms of the process, it's something that I've really enjoyed, this, this collaboration. It doesn't need to always work in exactly this way, but I think as an ongoing device for sort of getting back into that, that sort of, you know, the, the curiosity and open-mindedness of, of childhood, I think trying to design in a, in, a, in a collaborative way, trying to bring others into the conversation, to challenge, to question, to poke, to prod, and to bring sort of unexpected possibilities to the projects and being open to sort of receiving that, to letting go of, a, of, of some kind of entitlement to, or, or, or desire to own it all, to be really receptive to ideas. Uh, that's wonderful. It's been thrilling on this project, and I'll certainly continue it. I do a bit of teaching at the University of Adelaide. It's always hard to articulate specifically why you do it, but I, I think that is as close as I can come to explaining it. I think that that idea of those sort of left field perspectives on design that come from such different sort of positions, experiences, sort of memories, histories, desires, um, it's thrilling. It's thrilling. And I think, you know, you, you want to, especially working creatively in a, in a relatively solitary way, you want to avoid the sort of the recursive nature of work. You know, you're, you're trying to avoid just repeating what you do over and over again with slight sort of permutations and kind of stretching and pulling and reframing. So it, it's continually exciting and renewing to, to have those conversations with, with people from other perspectives. Are you driven by any particular problems in the world or are you trying to apply this incredible skill that you have as an original thinker to influence change or do you take that as it comes? Is it each project that comes that, you know, sort of evolves over time? Are you sort of looking at how you can make a difference to each individual project or is there something bigger that perhaps you're a bit inspired by? There's some challenge with wanting to affect change, which is sort of the ability to sort of both over and underestimate our capacity to sort of affect change. I understand the aspiration to sort of affect big change, and I've often sort of dreamt of it. I'm not sure that, that it is the most fruitful and realistic way and the most productive way to sort of to, to practice creatively. I, I think coming back to this idea of design embedding sort of values, I act in accordance with the kind of, with a set of values, a sort of an ethics. It's the equivalent of wanting to be a good citizen. Personally, I like the idea that embedded within the design that I do, there's not just simply a set of values, but, but ideally aspiring towards a set of sort of virtues. It's maybe a bit out of fashion to speak about design this way, but I like to think that it would be virtuous and, and sort of sustainability comes into that. But it's not just simply, you know, 
specification of renewable resources or products and embodied energy and you know all of that kind of stuff. There's an economy of the use of materials there as well. There's a sense of proportionality to the end that one's trying to achieve, to not overblow something, not to sort of um, take something that has a very pure expression simply and just make it more complicated or louder or more fussy. Um, I like to think, and, and this, I suppose this re reflects my personal sort of perspective on life and some of the bigger questions, but there is beauty in sort of finding the simplest expression of, of a complex set of challenges. In terms of the creative process, that's the, for me, that's the thing. You, you start with a set of almost contradictory or incompatible parameters that without analysis would lead to sort of a complicated outcome, you know, something with multiple parts. And what you're looking for is, this, is synthesis. And through sort of reflecting on it, processing, you find that actually what appeared to be compatible isn't, that there is a way of framing it or positioning it such that all those bits of tension are resolved. And, and there's an expression of that resolution that is relatively simple and elegant. And when you find that, that's what I'm, I spend my career looking for. They're the things that endure over time. So when we're in a society where, you know, we've got this over-consumerism and I've spoken to people in retail and, and a lot of different walks where it's like, buy once, buy well. To stop us consuming, you need great design because it means that whatever you produce, the beauty, the simplicity, things that are designed well don't go out of fashion. You know, they're not in fashion. Fashion doesn't become a part of the equation. You just have beautiful things that will last forever and then there's no need to throw them away. They don't break. They don't go out of fashion. So I think that, you know, what you're doing, it is virtuous in the sense that it's feeding into a much bigger picture of sustainability. There was an exhibition years ago by Jasper Morrison and Naoto Fukasawa that identified that a lot of the products that endure sort of commercially are ones that have been anonymously designed. Things like staplers, coffee makers, coat hangers, you know, these sort of just little bits and pieces that we're almost oblivious to. We don't see them because they're so familiar. We almost forget that they had to be designed. And, and interestingly, all efforts to design them better tend to fail. You can keep adding colour and material and, and narrative as much as you like, but those products just sing. They, they do what they need to do. There's not much more that needs to be said on them. They're not acts of one-off creation. They're not the sort of the, the outcome of a visionary designer sitting down with a sketch pad and in a moment of genius bringing something into existence. They're sort of a convergence of industry, economics, and a thousand little creative acts that, that get them to, to that point. And I, I just, I love the modesty and the sort of the collective sort of aggregated power of that. I think it's something that comes from community and technology and culture. It's sort of where it all converges. So yeah, it's a modest sort of way of thinking about design, but I think a really powerful one. And I think it's, it stands in, in nice and very powerful contrast to some of the most indulgent expressions of, of design with incredibly sort of expensive imported materials and very grand displays of detail and embellishment. So I think it's, a, it's an interesting comparison. There's a, certainly a place for, for both and, and tensions and contrasts and, and plurality in, in design as in everywhere in, in society is thrilling and exciting. Debate's wonderful. Well, I think that that is a brilliant place for us to finish. 
Henry. Thank you so much for your time. I've certainly found it to be very interesting and it's wonderful to explore your perspective on original thought. And I can tell you I'm very much looking forward to seeing what comes next in your practice. But thank you so much for sharing your time in what is a very busy Melbourne Design Week. I wish you the best of luck with self-portrait and your exhibition there. And we look forward to exploring that a little bit more in, in other avenues. Thank you, Claire. It's been a pleasure. Many thanks once again to Henry for taking the time to speak with us. Make sure to check out the show notes at originalthinkers.com.au. You'll find further links and information to everything we talked about in today's show, including a video interview and article with John Goulder about self-portrait at Melbourne Design Week. Thanks also to the sponsors of this episode, Original Tasmanian Timber. Make sure you visit tasmaniantimber.com.au, the ultimate resource for architects, designers, and anyone interested in local, sustainable and beautiful timbers. And also to Cusp Building Solutions. Cusp created the first hardwood CLT and the strongest CLT in the world from certified plantation-grown eucalyptus. Cusp makes what's next. Visit cusp.com.au. And finally, thank you for joining me. Join me next time when I speak with David Brand from New Forests. I look out 20, 30, 40 years and we think about a, a world of 10 billion people. We think about a world that the gross world product will triple. That's like putting three of the world's economies on the same planet. And when you think about that weight of economic activity, it drives you to thinking about sustainability as central to everything. And so then I thought about the forestry sector as really a, a source of sustainability solutions.